0: how there's a handful of memories that make it from your childhood to your adulthood intact? You keep that memory for whatever reason. There's a lot of stuff that you don't recall, but there's certain memories that stay with you. Um, uh, one of mine from my childhood that has stuck with me is when I was probably four or five years old. We lived in Eugene, Oregon. We were going to watch basketball at MacArthur Court, which was one of the craziest stadiums in the country to watch. Tickets were cheap. They let you bring their own your own concessions. It was just the Wild West back in the day. And uh, my, my dad, took me to watch this game so I don't remember the details of this but either coming in or exiting the venue there's just this crush of humanity and so I reached out grabbed onto my dad's pants like in his pocket or something like that reached out because I'm probably two and a half three feet tall so I could navigate my way through this crush of people with him and we got to the other side and much to my horror I look up and it is not my father I am holding on to is some stranger I've latched onto his pants. Now, I don't remember exactly how I made it back to my dad. And and knowing my dad, I found him. He didn't find me. You guys know him. Uh, I'm onto somebody thinking it was my dad and he was taking me further away from my dad. And I I don't know the the particulars because I don't know what this guy thought. I don't recall him saying like, excuse me, child, what are you doing? Maybe he thought it was like a promotion the venue was doing. The first thousand people get a five-year-old or something like that. I don't know. Like, free five-year-old. Here you go. But I was really clinging tightly to something that was moving me further from where I wanted to go. Crucially, thinking I was attaching myself to the thing that I wanted to be attached to, and I was moving further away from it. And we're going to explore that paradigm because that is exactly what the letter we're going to look at talks about uh, today. We're maybe a little bit more than halfway through our series that we're calling Journey, and it is an overview of the New Testament. So nearly every week we're exploring an entire New Testament book. It's been interesting to see the, the entire scope of a letter or a gospel all at once, because normally we explore just a verse or two. We try to dig into that verse and understand what that means, but sometimes looking at the tree, you miss the forest. And I think this has been helpful for me particularly to see the scope of what an author, what God through an author is trying to communicate to us. So this week, we are going to be looking at a letter called Galatians, a letter called Galatians. It'll take you about 20 minutes to read. It's a very short letter, but it it packs a punch. Most of the time when Paul would start a letter, he would start with a few niceties. He would say, hey, I've been hearing about you. I've been praying for you. Things sound like they're going pretty well. Here's a few few things you can fix. Not in Galatians. Galatians, Paul comes out swinging Um, at, at risk of oversimplification if you've been going through our reading journey you just finished with the letters to the corinthians first and second corinthians and galatians is going to seem like whiplash So, this is a little bit of oversimplification, but imagine Corinthians and Galatians as personalities. If if Corinthians is a personality, it's the party all night, anything goes, do what you want, spring break in Cancun, indulgence. Go crazy, knock yourself out, have fun. And their life philosophy or their religious philosophy might be something like, do what you want, grace will cover the damage. And you've probably met people like that who were like, oh, I'm so thankful for God's grace because I'm going to go do something bad and I'm really glad that God's grace will cover me preemptively. But if Corinth is the do what you want, indulge, Galatians seems to be a little bit of a more strict, austere austere uh, denial of self they, they seem to think that god owed them a little bit their life philosophy might be grace is for those losers who can't get their act together but i don't really need grace because i've got my life pretty well organized of course god is pleased with me why wouldn't he be just look at me i'm doing awesome that's the problem in Galatians. So if Corinth is freedom without restraint, then Galatians is restraint without freedom. Again, this is a bit of an oversimplification, but if one trap is thinking that hey, because of grace my behavior doesn't matter, then another trap is thinking because of my behavior grace doesn't really matter. I don't really need grace because I've kind of got it figured out. And Paul takes that idea to task in this letter. He has something to say to both types of people, but. He has way more to say to the Galatian type who thought that they had it figured out and were attaching themselves to ideas and practices and behaviors that weren't bringing them to Christ. And I'm a little surprised, actually, because, I mean, I can see the problem with somebody being too indulgent, but is there really a danger with someone being too strict I mean, do you really have to worry about that very often? I mean, yes, I can understand people driving too fast, but is there really a danger in people driving too slow? Yes, Yes, there is. If you've ever been on 94 when someone's just camped out in the left-hand lane, yes. And Paul is talking to those types of people. He's saying, you've misunderstood the basics of Christianity in a way that is incredibly dangerous to you and the people around you. It's a huge problem. So like I said, he often starts his letters with a compliment, not this one. He starts this one off in verse six by saying this, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. He goes on in the letter to say, 221, you are setting aside grace. He says in 3.3, he says, are you really so foolish? This is a tough letter. He says in chapter 5, verse 4, he says, You are alienated from Christ, and you have fallen from grace. Whoa, okay. What horrible, terrible, no good, awful thing had these people done that Paul was like, You have fallen from grace. You have abandoned Christ. Well, look at what it says in Galatians 5, 22. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Circumcision, that's what this whole thing is about? An elective surgery? That's what you're getting worked up about, Paul? Like, uh, is that really a problem? I mean, it really only affects half the population anyway, so what's all the fuss? Like, why is he getting so worked up? Why is he saying that if, if guys go ahead and have this procedure, that they're alienating themselves from Christ and they're falling from grace? In fact, let me tell you this, Um, he says something in this letter that if I were just to get up here on stage on a Sunday morning and say it, at very best, the elders and myself would get some super angry emails from people saying, I brought my children to that service, I had a friend there, and Patrick said X, Y, Z. He says something, and at very worst, I actually might be asked not to preach for a while because of what Paul says. It's so, let me just say his remarks are very cutting chapter five uh anyway i won't get into anything else it's very pointed. All right, chapter 5, verse 12. But what's what's the big deal? Who cares? Like, well, what does it matter? What does it matter if guys want to do this? What does it matter if they think that they're trying to honor God by having this? Well, what does this matter? Why are we reading this letter that has been preserved for thousands of years to denounce this practice? Like, what in the world? Why in 2022 d- does this matter to us? Well, I want you to see in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to read it just a couple verses here, because I think that there are practices and ideas and habits and patterns that. We have that are analogous to what they were struggling with ways that we have decided that something that we believe or something that we do actually gains us favor with Christ and something that we believe or something that we do draws us closer to Christ, but that isn't Christ. Look at this Galatians chapter five, verse four. He says, you who are trying to be justified by the law. Every time he uses the word law, you need to think Hebrew covenant obligation, because that's what he's talking about here. And it could be circumcision, but it certainly could be other things that were customary to people who had grown up with the whole Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, all that you who are trying to be justified to God by the law. And I think it's fair to expand that and say anything you who are trying to be justified by anything but grace have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Yikes, I don't want that. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matter at all. And that's the stuff that we do thinking that it makes us more acceptable to God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. But Paul is trying to point out that crucially, believing these things have value is a real problem. I do think that many of us have an impulse. There's a human impulse to construct our own way of approaching God, to construct our own way of this will be pleasing to God and God will accept me if I do these things. And maybe it's not circumcision, maybe it's not the old law, but it's a way of gathering together some thoughts and ideas and beliefs that we think that will endear us to God more than Jesus can. We cling to those things and they actually move us away from Jesus. We're grabbing the belt loop of something that is pulling us away from where we want to go. And that is Paul's main issue in the book of Galatians, in the letter to the Galatians. We're grabbing onto the pant leg of a stranger and we're getting more lost. This letter is really tough for people who feel like they've got it all together, that they've got a systematic approach to their relationship with God, and they do what they need to do, and of course God accepts them, and of course God loves them, because why wouldn't he? Because I've got it all together. It's really tough for people with that mentality. But Galatians is really good news for people that struggle with a sense of adequacy, feeling like we're constantly falling short of expectations, feeling like we're constantly not doing enough, jumping through enough hoops, leaping enough hurdles. It's really good news for people like that. So let me show you the flow. We're going to do a little bit of combo preaching and teaching, and I want you to see how the whole scope of the letter works together because I think it's really valuable for understanding this whole thing, for taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture. So Galatians, the letter, essentially breaks down into two parts, one big chunk and one small chunk. And the big part, the big thing that he's talking about, most of the letter, is essentially this idea where he says, you you all, you church, you have lost your grip on Jesus you've, you've lost connection. You grabbed onto the wrong thing and it's pulling you away from Jesus. You grabbed onto that stranger's pant leg. And this takes up most of the letter. And so what I want to do is kind of show you how he builds this argument through this section, because it's helpful for us trying to find out like, where do we do this in our lives? Where do we figure out like different ways to get to God that aren't just holding on to Jesus? The first thing he says in chapter one is he he just says, how in the world did you manage to lose the truth? And that's where he talks about, I am perplexed. I am amazed. I'm astounded. You guys have really, uh, have you ever done that with your kids where you, you literally just told them not to do something and they immediately do it, you know? hey, do not put your cup near the edge of the table because you're going to knock it over and then like milliseconds later, and you're like, I just told you. That's the sentiment you're getting from Paul here. I just, how did you lose the truth? How did you lose it? And then he says, I... I literally just gave it to you. I, you just had it. What are you talking about? And that's in chapter 1 uh, through 221. And they had this idea that the law would help and we'll talk about that in a second. But he has this really interesting argument where he says I didn't, you, you gotta know me. You know me guys, right? You know me. I love the old law. I was trained in the old law. I had multiple PhDs in the old law. If anyone is gonna advocate for, the, for living out the old law as a way of connecting with G- Jesus, that would be me. And I'm telling you, that's not the case. And then he talks about, I heard this truth directly from Jesus. I didn't get it from another apostle. He even has an interesting confrontation with another apostle in this section. And then he says, besides what you grabbed onto, what you're holding onto won't lead you to Christ. It won't save you. It can't save you. The law cannot save you. And I know some of you are thinking like, well, yeah, I'm not trying to offer sacrifices in the temple. So why are we talking about this? But essentially what Paul's trying to tell them is you learned to ride a bike and now you're putting on training wheels. Like, Why? Why would you do that? And he has this really killer argument for understanding the difference between relating to God through the law and relating to God through grace. Uh, Some of you have gone through foster care training, foster care program, you know what it's like, and you've also gone through adoption. And we have a foster care system that is great and horrible at the same time. It is really hard because like anything to do with government, there's a lot of bureaucratic hoops that you have to jump through in order to take care of the children you're trying to take care of. And you have people that are somewhere else that sometimes don't even know the names and ages of the children that you're entrusted to care, and they're telling you, here's how you got to do it. And you're like, I'm living with them Every day, I know how to make good Decisions for these kids, and I know Why they do it, they, you know Want to prevent kids from being in really bad situations And I'm sure it helps You have to do three Hours of training, how to put a car seat in your car. And you know what? There are a lot of ways to do it wrong, actually. (laughs) They show you some pretty horrific videos. It's pretty rough. But often what they're trying to do is make the, the, the process safe for the child, but they're essentially making it more burdensome to take care of that child. And Paul's saying, yes, the law was foster care, and you had to jump through some technical hoops, and you had to make things work, but now you have been adopted by God. Why would you go back to the rules of foster care that doesn't make any sense and that's what he's saying you are a child of god and that's the verse in galatians three twenty-eight that you're so familiar with that all of us who are in christ jesus male female there's no jew there's no greek there's no distinctions we're all children of god we're all children of abraham that's where that particular argument comes from why would you put on the training wheels when you learn how to ride the bike it's going to make it harder and then he says in chapter 5, the last part of this section, he says, seriously, what were you guys thinking? And then he says, but here's the, here's the important part. Here's how you actually hold on to Jesus. And any you've read Galatians or anytime you're familiar with the verse in Galatians, it's likely in this last section. The fruit of the Spirit, parts like, parts of, like that. This is how you truly hold on to Jesus. We have this inclination that more rules or more restrictions make us more right. We have this idea that more technicalities, more policies will make things better, right? And, and, and it's true, you can train a monkey to ride a skateboard, right? You can do that, but, but parents, you know, you don't want a child who will jump when you whistle like one of the Von Trapp children, right? Some of you parents are like, oh, I would love a child who would jump when I whistle like one of the Von Trapp children. I'd love that. That would be awesome. I'd carry my whistle around everywhere and I would just be constantly like, watch this. It'd be a party trick to show your friends like, look at this. They're going to stall, stand to attention and do a little jig. Now you're thinking, oh, that would be, that would be awesome. But the thing is, what you want is when your child turns 18 and you send them off to college, you want to have the confidence that their heart is tuned toward God so that when you're not there with your whistle, they're still making decisions that are consistent with the values that you've tried to instill in them that's what you want you want a child who when they're 700 miles away in nashville going to college and they don't have mom and dad looking at them all the time that they're making decisions that you can feel good about because you trust their heart because their heart is tuned toward god that's what god wants from you God is not interested in blowing a whistle and having you stand to attention. God wants your heart. That has always been true. The entirety of scripture is telling us that someday God is going to replace our hearts of stone and give us a real heart. And he's going to write his truths on our hearts through the spirit. That's what he's been trying to communicate all along. That's That's what he wants. And Paul makes this crucial point, and this is, I've thought a lot about this because I've thought, man, we're, we're talking to a group of Church of Christ people, many of whom have grown up in the Church of Christ. And what I'm saying is going to sound wrong because we're not sure. We think that there's a few extra things that we need to do to get in tune with Jesus. Paul says this, essentially, the freedom of the spirit, not the rule of law, is how we develop a heart that clings to Jesus I got to say it again because we're Church of Christ people. (laughs) The freedom of the spirit, not the rule of law, is how we develop a heart or how God develops a heart in us that clings to Jesus. Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. And some of you are like, aha, yes, see the rules. But what rules did he list there? He says, I want your heart, and I want your heart to guide you in your life to navigate these choices. The indulgence in the flesh was that Corinthian problem we were talking about last, last couple weeks. Galatians 5.16 where he says this, so I say walk by the Spirit and you will not, you just won't gratify the desires of the flesh. If you follow the Spirit, He will not lead you down dark alleyways. He just will not, because that's not what God wants. Before my uh, parents moved to to Minnesota, they lived right next door to a cult, C-U-L-T, cult in Vermont. Um, And when I say right next door, I don't mean like down the street or yeah, there was a cult in town I mean like open up the family room blinds and there's the cult right next door In fact, they owned three houses So they were surrounded on three sides by this cult Now let me tell you as far as cults go, these people were great They were really friendly. They were really kind, which is which is what you want in a cult, right? You don't. it's hard to really attract very many new uh, adherents when you've got a really mean cult So they're a very nice group of people and I remember having this conversation Conversation uh, with one of the members, and it was it was a little odd because he wasn't putting the hard sell on me, but he was putting out the the, the fishing line to see if I would nibble, to see if I'd bite a little bit. It was kind of interesting because on, and obviously he didn't lead with any of the crazy stuff. He didn't lead with like, oh yeah, this guy named Gene, we believe he's the anointed one sent from God. He didn't he didn't start with that. He just started with like, ah, oh, we just love each other, and it's great, and we just all all live together. You're like, there's like 40 of you in this house. I think that's a commune. This is. This is not just normal stuff. Oh, yeah, we just sign over our checks to the group. It's, it's no big deal. Oh, yeah, they give us a different name when we join the cult Sure. My old name, my Gentile name is what they say, was Fred. But my, my God name is Hezekiah. And they are all these ancient Hebrew names. The group formed in the 70s. So kind of out of the 60s Jesus movement. You've heard of that? The, so the funny thing is, is they look like they're a time capsule from the 70s. Like the beards and the hair and the, you know, the clothes and everything so you can imagine if somebody's joining this group at first they tell their parents like hey great news mom and dad i found some new friends and mom and dad are like oh that's awesome oh these friends are really into the bible that's great that's super great oh these friends are really into like making their own clothes like it's weird but whatever i don't care you know you do you oh don't call me brad anymore my name is now some some hebrew word oh that's less great oh mom and dad i cannot have any contact with you anymore oh that's really less great and it starts out fine it starts out innocuous but what this group has done is they have grabbed onto something something probably good and they've grabbed onto something and Jesus and so they've got Jesus and this other thing but at some point in the process they let go of Jesus and they follow this other thing and they get led down this path that literally pulls them away from Christ some of you are like okay Patrick why are you talking about cults we're, we're not about to join a cult we're not about to be a cult like w- w- what is this? What are you talking about? In this cult, it was Jesus and you get to change your name and Jesus and you sign over your check to us and Jesus and we, we disassociate you from your family. It's Jesus end. And the question for us is what, what would we begin to put in this blank? Now, maybe you're like, no, 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 there's nothing but Jesus. I love Jesus. It's just Jesus. I'm attached to Jesus. But some of you, some of us are tempted to put something in that blank. Maybe it's Jesus and politics. Where like, well, hey, if they're really truly a Christian, then they would believe this and they would vote this way and they would think this way. Or it's Jesus and activism. It's Jesus in a very specific way of viewing the world and being in the world and true Christians will do this and think this and believe this and look this way. It's Jesus and something and they've taken a hold and grabbed onto something in addition to Jesus. It doesn't start out bad. It's not bad. It's not a bad thing. Circumcision doesn't matter is what he's saying. But when you begin to hold that up in in an attempt to hold on to Jesus we begin to lose Jesus. So, so what for you gets close, at least close to going in that blank? Jesus saying, well, I would really like it if church did this or thought that or... Encourage this. What could you not give up if we were to change? What do you judge other Christians by? Jesus and what? What do you look to to see if a given group is right? And pretty soon, what we find out is that we've grabbed onto a stranger's pant leg thinking that we are trying to draw closer to God and we've been drawn away. Because it's Jesus and nothing. That's the point of Galatians it's Jesus and nothing. Patrick, you're being alarmist. Is this really a problem? Paul wrote a whole letter about it, and it's not a nice letter. I get calls uh, here at the church building all the time. We get two kinds of calls. One is a benevolence call saying, I'm in dire straits, can you help me? The other is someone who's checking out churches, and they're wondering if they uh, can come visit ours. And they always ask several questions that that helps me understand, oh, they've got a thing they're looking for. They've got a thing. And they want our church to also have that thing. And so they ask, well, does your church do this? Does your church believe this? Does your church have this? What does your church think about this? And it's always a particular thing. One thing that I have never been asked in 20 plus years of full-time ministry, never on any of these phone calls, never once been asked. I've never had someone say, hey, uh, do you believe that Jesus Christ saves you from your sins and that you're connected to God because of grace? Yeah, that's us. Great. I'll see you Sunday. Nobody asks that. It's always Jesus and a thing. Jesus and something. If I can be a little personal with you, a little transparent, my religious struggle is never with thinking that I have it all together that I've figured it out. It's never been that. It's never been that. My religious struggle is always that I am falling short. I am not meeting expectations that there are more hoops that I didn't even realize existed that I should jump through. I'm not doing enough. I'm not bold enough. I'm not self-disciplined enough. And truly that mentality makes me very susceptible to criticism. Because if somebody comes along and confidently says, Patrick, to be a real Christian, you need to do this. My first reaction is like, well, oh, they're probably right. To be a real leader, you need to think this way. Oh, they're probably right. I, I guess. I don't know. If somebody comes along and says, hey, to be an adequate husband or dad, jump through this hoop, they're probably right. So what I need, as and I'm just telling you, this is me. You do what you want to do. I often need scripture therapy I often need regular therapy too but specifically scripture therapy i need to be reminded of those essential truths and just have those truths wash over my soul to remind me up is up and down is down to remind me of what is real and so One of the blessings of this incredibly harsh tone in this letter is that Paul says some definitive statements that really build this framework around my heart and help me stay in tune with Jesus. So I'm going to share three with you, but these are verses that you probably need to sit down with. You need to underline in your Bible. You need to make a cup of coffee and sit in your favorite chair and turn the lights down low and listen to what Paul is saying to your heart through the spirit of God. The first one, Galatians 2.20, you're probably familiar with it, where Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, just to let that truth wash over you. Chapter 5, verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Anyway, we try to endear ourselves to God. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. The only thing that counts, I need to sit down and let that truth wash over me. Chapter 6, verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, to let those truths sink deeply. My problem isn't really confidence. My problem is guilt. And I... I think that maybe a lot of people who are raised in a church environment, they have a framework of guilt built into their soul. And if somebody comes along wagging a finger saying, you need Jesus, and it's easy to pick that up and grab onto the wrong dad's belt loop and be pulled away from where you want to go. But Galatians reminds us that it is just Jesus. It is Jesus and nothing.